You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Good morning, Riverview. I am so pleased to be able to be with you this morning, even if it is only virtually. Does it feel to you like it does to me that in our everyday lives just now we seem to have taken a step backwards as again we can't meet in our homes with anyone out with our own household? I was really happy to take all the precautions necessary to have you visit, even one household at a time. And now it just can't happen and I'm feeling pretty sad about that. On the other hand, I do want all of you to be really safe and so in reality... I suppose it's a small price to pay. And it is so good that we can still have our wealth groups. We'll be meeting this week, and although I would dearly love to be seeing every single one of you, I'm very grateful for and looking forward to seeing our wealth group on Tuesday evening at Riverview. And I know the other wealth group leaders are feeling exactly the same. The other day on Facebook, I caught... Joni Erickson Tada do a one-minute spot on her Diamonds in the Dust time. Now, I hadn't heard too much about Joni for quite some time, and lo and behold, Tracy put something on Connect that let you see Joni Erickson Tada and see the kind of woman that she is. But for those of you who don't know Joni, she's a 70-year-old American woman, I can hardly believe that, but at the age of 17, She dived into a swimming pool, which was nowhere near as deep as she thought it was, and she broke her neck, leaving her paralysed from the neck down since then. But she has an amazing testimony, and she's a very accomplished writer and speaker, a truly amazing woman of God. And so I stopped to, to listen to her speak. And you know what? It was well worth hearing, thinking about what I knew I wanted to speak on this morning. So here was Joni, sitting in her wheelchair, arms supported in their metal frames, saying that in this difficult time, she has, and I quote, memorised some rigorous and robust words from the saints of old to keep her focused. She brought this quote from Alan Redpath. I loved it. There is no circumstance, no trouble, no testing that can ever touch you without it has first gone past God the Father, and then past God the Son, and then it reaches right through to you. And if it has come that far, it's come with great purpose. Wow, is that encouraging or what? Joni went on to say, so take heart, have courage, look up, because your problems are not a flick of a coin or a roll of the dice. Your struggles come from an intentional God who has endured great purpose for each one of your pains and disappointments. Remember God's working all things, all things for your good. And looking at her and knowing something about her life, I can take that from her. But if that's not enough encouragement this morning for the times that we're living in, I want to bring you this word, which I really believe God has laid on my heart for not only you, but for me today. There's no doubt we're living in a troubled world, a a, a turbulent time. But I want to remind you 
that no matter what the trouble we face is, we are always triumphant when the Lord is on our side because he is always the winner. So let's go to scripture. And where else would we go for an answer to a question we have to ask God but to the book of Psalms? I love the Psalms. Why? Well, Selwyn Hughes' words explain very succinctly. He says, Perhaps the greatest thing about the Psalms is that they contain a message for every hurt, every difficulty, and every basic problem faced by man. In these passages, God has given us the insight to cope with the emotional pressures of every generation. The Psalms represent people as they are. So it's not, this is the ideal or this is who you should be. It's people as they are. Isn't that true? Do you know there's a deep honesty about the Psalms? They're all very different. You know, one minute you're reading prayers of people suffering and the next there's hymns of praise. And then there's confessions of sins and the guilt and, and, and you really feel the expression of the writers. But then there's confessions of faith. And in among it all, you get the history of the Jewish nation as well. They are so diverse and revealing. We know half them written by the psalmist David, but the other half by people, other people. And they all just bring an honest account of the writer's experience at that moment. So keep that in mind and turn with me to Psalm 3. I'm reading from the Nev. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Well, this is definitely one of the Psalms of David. And it was written at a very difficult time in his life when his own son Absalom has turned against him and he's taken many of his loyal subjects with him. The story of Absalom and David is fascinating, but it's awful at the same time. I won't go into all the details, but if you read 2 Samuel chapters 13 to 18, you'll get the whole story there. Here's just the gist of it. Absalom is one of David's sons. He's banished after he kills his half-sister's rapist, Amnon, who's his half-brother too. Joab convinces David to welcome his disillusioned son back into Jerusalem with a tale from a wise woman who said to him, Like water spilled on the ground which cannot be recovered, so we must die. But that is not what God desires. Rather, he devises ways so that a banished person does not remain banished from him. These are very poignant words when we think about Jesus as well. But let's stick with David. David brings him back to Jerusalem, but he still doesn't want to see him. And Absalom doesn't take the invitation to return as enough. He wants to see his father. But at the moment, that's more than David can offer. But Absalom wants more. 
you know, Absalom's whole life story deals with the external and the fleeting. He never deals with what's going on inside. He's a great politician, and he charismatically wins the favour of the people, and he leads a rebellion against his father. And Psalm 3 is written by David during this time. The happy ending, if you can call it that, is David's as he's reinstated as king. But Absalom dies in spite of his father's orders. It's the stuff of a best-selling novel, let me tell you. David writes his psalms from the heart, depending on what's happening to him and around him all the time. We get the highs of his life, but we get the lows too. I'm not sure where I would say this one really sits in that. So here we are as David has had to flee from his son. It wasn't a small thing that was happening. It was a game changer for them. And it was almost unbearable because this was his son. Now, I'm not a mum, but I cannot think of anything which could be more difficult to bear than that your own child turns against you to this extent. It's not what we expect in families, is it? So in a horrendous time for David, he writes Psalm 3. And he gives us a glimpse into how he was able to look to and trust God. It gives us the encouragement we sometimes need to be able to deal with those times of trouble we all find ourselves in, just from time to time. It can be family problems, it can be criticism, it can be hurtful gossip. Friends turning against us is, is horrible. Failure of our health or health of loved ones, job loss, pandemic, or anything else that the enemy can throw against us, it's a psalm which tells us how we can be triumphant in trouble. So let me pick out four promises we have from the Lord in this psalm. They all begin with S, so they're easy to remember. The first is that the Lord is our shield, from verse 3. Then the Lord is our sustainer, from verses 4 and 5. Thirdly, the Lord is our strength, from verse 6. And fourthly, the Lord is our source of victory. He's our salvation in verses 7 and 8. So I would like you to just bear with me as we look at each of these promises, promises in a little more detail. So number one, the Lord is our shield. He's a shield around me, David says. Now a shield is a, def is a defensive weapon. It's not an attacking weapon, but it's something that soldiers need to have. It's a piece of personal weaponry. It was there to ensure that no arrows or swords could penetrate the soldier. We know sometimes soldiers would use their shields together to provide defence too. And David is recognising that God is all around defending any attack that might come. He's the shield. He's the defender. The fiery or flaming arrows of the evil one are what we're told to take up the shield of faith against. They're intended for harm. We can expect those fiery darts to come against us in all shapes and forms. The devil is so wily. He constantly looks for ways to get through to us, even our own thoughts sometimes. What we need to do is to raise that shield of faith. Because as we lift it up, it reminds the devil that we belong to the one whose power is endless and eternal and he can never win against God. God's people have always and will always be targets of the enemy. It's his way of getting at us. Look at history, you know it to be true. 
but God is our shield and always will be while Satan has a chance to attack us. Way back in the Old Testament, in Genesis 15, verse 1, he promised to be Abraham's shield. He made covenant with Abraham. He told him not to be afraid because he was his shield, his very great reward. Do you know, he gave that promise as um, Abraham was exhausted after making a great stand. He did believe God, but there was one thing always playing on his mind. He had no heir and he was an old man. Humanly speaking, it wasn't going to happen. But here we have God coming with answers. Read it later. Listen, we need to hold on to these great truths when we're under attack. He is our shield. He is all the defence we need. Hold on to the promises of God. They're sure and they will never fail. This is what it means to take up the shield of faith. That's what Joni was doing in quoting Alan Redpath, a real man of God. Keeping focused on what it's all about. The Psalms are full of the promises of God to be a shield. Psalm 33 and verse 20 says, We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and shield. Or Psalm 84, verse 11, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The shield is our protection in the battle. But I've got great news for you. We're on the winning side. Even when it's tough and relentless, and we're worn out from the fighting, he has promised to be our shield. So hold up that shield. Recognise the one who is fighting for us and remind Satan of what his end will be. God is our shield. Which takes me on to the second promise from Psalm 3. God is our sustainer. In verse 4, David is praying. That's what crying out to the Lord for help is. And we see God answer him. He answers from heaven. What did James say? He says in, in, in chapter 4 and verse 2 of James, you don't have because you don't ask. You know, the Bible is full of God's invitations to pray because he delights to answer prayer. Listen, even in the Old Testament, we're exhorted to pray. Jeremiah 33 and 3 says, Call to me and I will answer you. It's a promise. And I'll tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Wow. Call to me and I'll answer. How could we doubt words like that when we've proved it so often to be the case in the past? Come with me into the New Testament and listen to what Jesus himself says in Matthew 7 and 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. King David just put it another way. He said, I cry aloud and he answers me. This is a promise to take to heart. It reminds us God is swift to come to the aids of those who are burdened. And he either will deliver them from their troubles, which is usually what we all want, or he'll provide the grace needed to get through the pain. I think that's where we are at the moment. Our hope, people of God, is based on the revealed character of God as a father who loves to give to his children. We've just read Matthew 7 and 7, and Jesus says in three different ways, because what we are asking with our lips must be what we earnestly desire in our hearts. He answers us. He's our sustainer. He keeps us going. He gives what we need when we call on him. Of course, there's more to being sustained, and he covers that in Psalm 3. David also acknowledges in verse 4, he can lie down to sleep 
and be sustained in that way too. There's nothing worse than we get so tired sometimes. And I expect we all know what it's like to be concerned about something and sleep just will not come. Well, David had a lot to be concerned about at this stage of his life. But as he called out to God, God answered and brought a peace which was unfathomable. Dr. John Halley in his commentary says, this is a most peaceful trust at a very trying time. He could sleep because God's hand was his pillow. Oh, wow, I love that picture. God's hand as his pillow. He was resting in God. He had peace. He knew that it would all be taken care of by the one he'd met long ago and had been with him ever since, in the good times and in the bad. He slept and he woke refreshed and ready for the onslaught again. God was with David, as he will be with us, sustaining us in every battle we have to face. We can be sure he is for us, and although we have never promised an easy path, we know his presence sustaining and upholding us. We can trust him. The third point I want to make is this, the Lord is our strength. I will not be afraid, verse 6 says, and then David goes on to say, I'll not be afraid of the tens of thousands drawn up on every side. It's quite a picture of battle lines with David right in the centre. But of course, he's been there before, way back as a young shepherd lad facing an enemy giant. He was the only one that went forward in the name of the Lord God of hosts. Look at his circumstances now, again, and he's completely in a no-win situation. He's had to leave his palace. He's had to leave Jerusalem. He's had to flee from his own son, who has a massive army raised against him. He's in a place where anyone looking on would say, there is no chance whatsoever of a good outcome for King David. But I don't know who to attribute this quote to, but I'm going to quote it just the same. One plus God is always a majority. As faith increases, fear decreases. That's what happens when we realise we have God's strength fighting for us. We are not relying on anything we can do. It is all about what God can do. And he can do anything he chooses. 1 John 4 um, and 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Do you know the answer to the problem of inner fearfulness is not self-centred efforts to conquer it. It's not mind over matter. It is focusing on the fact that God loves you and has control of all the circumstances of your life. The more you focus on that fact, the more his love will flow in and the more fear will flow out. We will know people we've watched go through horrendous times and yet their faith and their love for God is so strong and effective. That's why I looked at what Johnny was up to. You see the goodness of God just looking at her, and yet she's still paralysed all these years later. And some would argue he could have healed her, and why didn't he? Well, I'm sorry, I can't answer that. But I do know she has reached countless people with her story of what God is doing in her life. 
Would she ever have had that kind of ministry without the accident when she was 17 years old? Finally, let me tell you, the Lord is our source of victory. He's our salvation. I'm just going to remind you of the two verses, 7 and 8 of Psalm 3. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Now, I really don't advocate that kind of prayer to use today. Strike and break are not really what we want to see happen to anyone, but we definitely want deliverance and we want his blessing on his people. David sees his enemies overcome by God's power, even though at this point of time, his enemy is his own son. It made me think of God sending his son to his own people, the Jews, but they didn't want him. They were too full of the rules and regulations and hypocrisy and words of the rabbis and religious leaders, and they totally missed him. They didn't recognise him at all. They rejected him to the point of plotting to kill him. And by doing that, the greatest victory of all time was accomplished as Christ died, taking your sin and my sin on his own body. Well, that would be a nice story if it ended there, but it wouldn't make one iota of difference to us. However, the story does not end there because Jesus rose again, defeating forever death, the grave, hell and Satan himself. What was intended disaster turned out to be the greatest victory of all time. Could we ever have seen it? But God always had it in hand and Satan walked right into his trap. Romans 5, 6-9 says it all. You see, at the right, just the right time, when we were so powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Oh, thank you, Jesus. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour this morning, you can. You can turn to him. If We would be delighted to help you, to show you the way. And there's so many ways of getting in touch with us. Use Facebook Messenger. Use the church mobile number or email us. He is for you, you no matter who you are or what your past has been. God's promise of victory is also for us during Satan's attack, even today. Let's read Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. It is so worthwhile reminding ourselves of this scripture and remembering it every single day. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. 
in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, there it is again, with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. This is God providing us with all we will ever need to defeat Satan. No matter how inadequate or unworthy we feel in ourselves, it, that's not what matters. Our confidence is in the invincible righteousness which Christ presents before God on our behalf. He said it, we believe it, and that's the end of it. Jesus is the all-victorious one, and his victory is ours. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 57 and 58. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. We can trust Christ, even in troubled times, because the Lord is our shield, he's our sustainer, he's our strength, he is our source of victory. So let's be encouraged to show the world that we have a different agenda. We know Jesus and he's changed our perspective. Even at this difficult time, we see victory. We're entering our one name period of time. We have something real to offer that one person we're praying for daily and we can show them Jesus in our daily lives. We are on mission. I pray every one of us will be encouraged to know we are triumphant in trouble because we have a saviour who's won it all for us. May God richly bless you and encourage you even when it all seems to be going wrong. Anything touching us is teaching us our God is ultimately in charge and he only allows Satan so far and no further because our God is always the winner. So are we. Hallelujah. God bless you.